did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. At long last, Rick, we have a result in this election. Joe Biden is elected. We are projecting at ABC News and just about the entire rest of the world, except for a few uh, diehards out there, that Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States. And it looks like Although uh, the, uh, the the counting was painfully slow, at least by the standards we have uh, come, become used to, but not by what we had predicted. We we knew it was going to be slow. We knew we had been saying for 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 right. months that that uh, it could be election week, it could be election month. Um, but uh, that it's actually a pretty big victory. Uh, some states painfully close. Uh, uh, Georgia about as close as you get. Although I guess a landslide compared to Florida, two thousand, but still. Georgia margin just over 4,000 votes, uh, very close uh, in Wisconsin, uh, very close in Arizona. Um, but, you know, not – it's probably not going to be all that close by the time uh, we're, we're done, fully done in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, Nevada seemed to have widened a bit. Michigan seemed to have widened a bit. Uh, bigger margins that, that than Donald Trump won four years ago. And – by my back of the envelope calculations here, Rick, uh, the uh, the electoral college uh, breakdown. If all the states that we have not yet called break the way we expect, it is a nifty 306 electoral votes for Joe Biden, which sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? It's an incredible uh, kind of full circle poetry to it. Add to that the fact that it was Pennsylvania where Joe Biden was born and where he launched his campaign uh, opposite end of the state uh, that delivered the uh, election to him uh, 48 years to the date after Joe Biden was first elected to the United States Senate. The youngest new face in the U.S. Senate next year will be that of Democrat Joseph Biden of Delaware. So young, in fact, that at the time of his election on November 7th, Biden was not yet old enough to serve. Uh, and at the time that it all happened, President Trump was on the golf course. There's a certain kind of poetry in all of it uh, in the end. And, John, uh, to your point about the vote count, I mean, we obviously have been wrapped up in, in that for, you know, for days and days and days. But I would posit to you that you know, nobody remembers who got the go ahead hit in the sixth inning on game five of the World Series. What you remember who wins the whole thing. And when you're done with the math here, you will see. Joe Biden having won the the popular vote by you know five million plus votes. You'll see him with the a similar electoral margin to the one that Donald Trump called a landslide when he achieved it four years ago while not winning the the, the popular vote. You will also see uh, Vice President Biden winning back the blue wall and in all likelihood flipping uh, Arizona and Georgia. Uh, those are statements and uh, clearly. The uh, it's a complicated message out of this election, as we've already been discussing. Um, and the 70 million Americans that voted for Donald Trump means something as well. But uh, this was a referendum on Donald Trump and it will go down as a repudiation of Donald Trump. I'll tell you, it was something I've, I've uh, just just moments ago before sitting down for this podcast, I was driving uh, by Lafayette Park and, and, and you can hear and I think I think Trevor's got some of the sounds uh, you can hear. Uh, cheering everywhere, you could hear. You know, there were there were people honking horns. There were uh, there. You hear some of that sound. I mean, it it feels 
almost like VE day in in uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, and and I know we're, we're I'm, I've got friends who have been sending me uh, you know similar reactions uh, in other parts of the country. Uh, there's um, you know there's a lot of excitement here from people that. Uh, uh, that, that certainly didn't didn't like the last four years under Donald Trump. Uh, obviously, a lot of disappointment in the rest of the country, as you pointed out. Uh, yeah. You know, Donald Trump got a hell of a lot of uh, got got more more votes, uh, more raw votes this year than he did four years ago. Um, although, you know, he is going to lose the popular vote by already. He's 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 down well in excess of, of four million votes, so by a bigger margin uh, than last time. And he be, he has the distinction, and and Trevor and it can furiously check this in the in our control room. Uh, but but by my my recollection, the campaigns I've covered and some I've read about, the last president to lose the popular vote twice uh, is Benjamin Harrison, um, and um, that was a long time ago. I don't know if you remember Benjamin Harrison, won that rematch against um, Grover Cleveland, but but lost the popular vote in the in in the process. Um, yeah, it's a big victory for for Joe Biden, and this is the guy. And, and I've been looking at the the record here, and maybe you maybe you have this, but I can't find another example of a uh, of an American president um, w- losing you know losing twice and then winning. I mean, he won on the third crack. Yeah, uh, Joe Biden first launched the presidential campaign in 1987. That's before many of our podcast listeners were born. Uh, he ran again in 2008 and uh, almost ran uh, in 2016. Uh, and, and, and here he is, uh, 77 years old, winning the presidency, getting more votes than any uh, candidate for president in all of American history. Uh, he's got a history-making uh, running mate in Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, really something else. Yeah, and when you're looking at history, um, uh, Donald Trump, uh, will have lost the popular vote twice, which is a unique distinction among presidents. To, to have won once and then lost once uh, without winning the popular vote is a, is a statement. And, and John, I, I, I think if anyone understands the psychology of winning and losing, it is Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, I am curious your thoughts as to the, the lingering um, legal efforts, um, because they are out there, uh, and, and whether whether they are real, whether his heart is in it, whether his uh, whether the resources will be in it, um, and whether when the dust settles uh, on on what will be a decisive victory by by Joe Biden, not a landslide, uh, but I don't think I think it was probably, a lot of Democrats had visions of something bigger, but uh, a decisive victory. Whether this we're actually talking about an extended legal fight across multiple states. Well, be, before we get to that, first first off, uh, I think it, I think it was a decisive uh, victory and. Donald Trump called his victory a landslide. This is the exact same on the electoral college route, and, and obviously, uh, it's something that Trump has never done, which is a, a a big win in terms of the popular vote. So I think it was a decisive victory. It was also a decisive victory for a lot of Republicans down ballot. Uh, it looks like the Republicans will likely hold on to the Senate pending those two runoffs that we're going to have in Georgia. I think both of which will be hard for the Democrats to to win, not impossible, but hard, um, and. Oh, defying all odds, uh, the Republicans are actually picking up seats in the House, handing Nancy Pelosi what I believe will be the smallest uh, Democratic majority in, 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 in two decades. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's going to be a very interesting thing because Joe Biden is coming in uh, and he's effectively going to have to run what I think you could look at as almost a coalition government, kind of like the coalition governments we see in, uh, in parliamentary systems. 
in his best case scenario, if the if the if the Democrats somehow manage to win both of those runoffs in Georgia, correct me, he's looking at a fifty fifty Senate, right? Or, or or does he have to win one to get a, to a fifty fifty Senate? They'd be at fifty fifty, I believe. Yeah, that, that's right, John. They, they they would need they would need a clean sleep in in Georgia to to get to fifty fifty, unless they pull out North Carolina, which hasn't been projected yet. So my point is that uh, Joe Biden is going to come in and face either a uh, a Republican controlled, narrowly Republican controlled Senate, or a Senate where uh, his his the Democratic majority is so narrow that any one of those Democrats, and there are going to be some very independent minded Democrats. Uh, can can jump over and and join with the Republicans on on any given issue, uh, and Joe Manchin, uh, you know, famously moderate, even conservative Democrat, uh, Kirsten Cinema out in Arizona. I think Mark Kelly, also from Arizona, he certainly campaigned as a as a moderate and independent minded uh, Democrat. So I, regardless of, of of how it finally shakes out in the Senate, Joe Biden is going to have to. Uh, effectively run as a the leader of a, of a coalition government. He's going to have to work with uh, where the Republicans. I think grand Democratic dreams, progressive dreams, of you know major new tax legislation and and you know progressive uh, Green New Deal style environmental policies are going to have to wait for for at least some time. And and Biden's going to have to govern in a way that will unify. Uh, to, to a certain extent, unify a, a, a capital, a nation's capital that has been deeply divided, and a country that's been deeply divided. But, but your your question about where Donald Trump is going to go from here, all signals, uh, you know, point to that, that he's going to try to contest everything he can. Uh, he's certainly not conceding. He's as of the time of us recording this podcast, he has not called Joe Biden. In fact, Rick, uh, if you remember four years ago. Uh, in, in the in the lead up to the campaign, um, Robbie Mook, who was the uh, the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton, uh, and uh, Kellyanne Conway, who was the campaign manager for Donald Trump, uh, talked and exchanged phone numbers. And when it came time late, 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 early in the morning, uh, election night, uh, it was Huma Abedin who, uh, who who used that number to call and, and connect with Kellyanne, and ultimately. A, a phone call between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. That well, the, nobody's exchanged phone numbers this time, and and, uh, and there's been certainly been no no phone call from Donald Trump. I, I've talked, I've tried to discern what could the possible legal strategy be. There's a different strategy for every state. Uh, each of them, I think, highly implausible. The one for Pennsylvania is uh, they they somehow think that the Supreme Court. Uh, will uh, declare the election in Pennsylvania uh, tainted because uh, those late arriving absentee ballots somehow may not have been, and this is, and there's no evidence of this, correct, just to be clear, uh, uh, mixed in with, uh, uh, with, with absentee ballots that arrived election day or before, um, and that there will have to be either a revote in Pennsylvania, can you imagine, or uh, that the state legislature of Pennsylvania would select the electors, and that is a Republican-controlled state legislature. None of that is going to happen. Okay, let's just be clear. But that is that is the kind of fevered dreams of 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 those that are fighting this fight right now. Now we had a press conference. I want to play a little bit of it uh, with the president's legal team: uh, Corey Lewandowski, Pam Bondi, and here is uh, Rudy Giuliani. This is today in Philadelphia. There was no security. Zero. The people of this city, people of this country, have no assurance at all that those ballots were actually cast. Okay. 
Okay, okay. I mean, you get the idea. I mean, first of all, he sounds, I, I hate to say this, but he sounds deranged. Uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, eyes bulging, screaming about uh, no security. Uh, you know, there, there may be issues, I think, in every campaign, certainly every, you know, presidential campaign, there are issues. Uh, but 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 the, the Trump campaign is not given anything specific. Uh, actually, that's not true. Uh, let, let me just explain to you two specifics that, that they have given. Um, one is uh, out in Nevada. They, they claimed uh, that, 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 that a woman who was blind, that, that her ballot was stolen from her. Um, and then, you know, so the local officials uh, looked into it, talked to the woman, saw that her signature actually, she actually signed it, the signature matched offered her uh, a chance to, uh, uh, to, to cast a provisional ballot, she declined. So it's a myth. That was fake. But that was one, one of the things that was mentioned at one of the press conferences that the legal team held out there. A woman's ballot was stolen. Well, no. Actually, it turns out it wasn't. And then you had Ronna McDaniel, uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel, uh, the chairwoman of the Republican Party, uh, gave a press conference in Michigan where she alleged that uh, some 2,000 ba- ballots had been, um, had been missing uh, uh, in, in, in Michigan. And she had, she, it sounded like she had the specifics. Oh, my goodness. It was in the city of Rochester Hills, 2,000 ballots. How can this be? Well, that led to a response uh, from a woman named Tina Barton. Tina Barton is the city clerk of the city of Rochester Hills. She is a Republican um, and she's a, and she's a Republican leader in the state of Michigan, and she's the one who's overseeing the election there. And here was her response directly to RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. My name is Tina Barton. As a clerk, my job is to run the elections fairly and securely. All ballots are and have been accounted for. There were no missing ballots. The accusation that 2,000 ballots were found is categorically false. As a Republican, I am disturbed that this is intentionally being mischaracterized to undermine the election process. This was an isolated mistake that was quickly rectified once realized. Every voter should have complete confidence in our voting system. Every vote that was cast was counted accurately and there is a paper ballot backup. I stand by our recorded results. Now, now, Rick, I have to say it is really something. It's one thing when you see Rudy Giuliani ranting and raving on the streets of Philadelphia. Uh, but when you see the chairwoman of the Republican Party come out and try to disparage the people running elections in our country in her home state of Michigan, uh, including uh, somebody from her own party, effectively, uh, running the election in Rochester Hills, Michigan, um, it just gives you a sense of the kind of whiff of desperation. Now, and then further, and I'll, I'll, I'm sorry for going on so long about this, Rick, but, but I, I, I think it's important that, you know, as we go forward, uh, there, there are a lot of people in this country who have, uh, you know, a, a stream of information that is designed to tell them that this election was fraudulent. So I think it's important for there to be a lot of transparency and to look and to show what these allegations actually are and how, uh, and how wrong everything that's been put forward so far. But even if somehow this strategy, which I described to you, of getting the Supreme Court to declare that the election results in Pennsylvania are somehow uh, corrupted, 
and need to be redone by the state legislature or a revote, even if somehow that were to happen and somehow the, uh, the result would be Donald Trump winning Pennsylvania, guess what? As you know, he still he wouldn't still have enough electoral yeah. votes to be elected president. He still so, come close. so they so so they have they have similarly you know odd strategies in Nevada and in Georgia, and in John and in Michigan and in Wisconsin. You, so you need <laughs> yeah, and they would need they would need to, to win all of these. And we've covered enough recounts and, uh, and and legal challenges to know that those are increasingly unlikely. I I do think it is. I'm two minds of this because the, the moment should by all all rights belong to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. There's no, they are the president, vice president. They made the history here that it, it has happened. It is done. We've made the projection. Other news organizations have. Uh, state officials are going to ratify that in the coming weeks. I think we can agree as reasonable humans that nothing will change that. But the behavior of the outgoing president is critical here. And you talked about that phone call, that, that, uh, the concession speech and the things that happened. Uh, it would appear unlikely that we're going to get something similar out of Donald Trump. And, it, and to me, it matters not just for the tumultuous couple of months of the of this transition period before January 20th, but also the tone of the nation, because uh, there are a lot of people that are inclined to believe what President Trump says. And if he maintains um, his falsehoods, his outright abject lies, and I'll say they use the word lies, about the the extent of, of, of ballot fraud and, and the Democratic supposed efforts to rig the election, a lot of people will believe him and will not accept the very legitimacy of Joe Biden taking office. And that will put him, and I'd argue the country, at a disadvantage. So so at this point, in terms of the, one of the big questions, what do the other Republicans do? Um, a handful of Republicans joined the president in making some of these allegations. But but by and large, you know, people like uh, Mitch McConnell um, and, and other Republican leaders have have stood on the sidelines and say, look, every every vote should be counted and they have not joined it. And, and, and they've said, if there's any evidence of fraud, please produce it. They have not joined in this. Uh, but now that Joe Biden is the projected to be the president-elect of the United States, it's notable that as of us recording this podcast here on Saturday afternoon, that the Republicans that I can find uh, who have come out to congratulate him include Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, who did not even vote for Donald Trump, but is a Republican. Mitt Romney, uh, senator from Utah, who also did not vote for Donald Trump and voted uh, on, on an art in favor of one article of impeachment. Um, and uh, Jeb Bush, I don't know how he voted, uh, but we know the relationship. Uh, so far, the silence of the Republicans, again, speaks very loudly. Uh, we, we haven't seen people come out uh, to congratulate Joe Biden. I assume that is going to happen. I assume they're giving uh, Donald Trump a little bit of space. And this raises the question is, what will it take for Donald Trump to concede? Will he concede? Will he fight this? I've talked to a lot of people close to the president. Here is my sense of, of where we stand on that question. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see anything close to a concession from Donald Trump for a time. First of all, they're raising a lot of money for his legal defense fund. By the way, a legal defense fund, that if you look at the fine print of their fundraising uh, efforts, Half of the money that they raise for it can also be used to retire debt from his campaign. Just FYI, anybody thinking about cutting a check? Um, but uh, they're, they're raising money on this. They're making their allegations. They're going to pursue every possible legal challenge. They've been in court. In, in, uh, they've been in federal court. They've, they've had a, they, they had a, a couple of procedural uh, uh, wins in terms of, um, of, of 
of having their election observers in there closer in, in the state of Pennsylvania to monitoring uh, uh, the count, uh, but but nothing on any of the substantive uh, charges, nothing at all. Uh, judges, federal and state judges are essentially asking where is the evidence and and the evidence has not been produced. So, but But that will be pursued for a while. But I am told that once the counting is finally totally over and the legal challenges have been exhausted, people very close to the president who are working with him on some of those very challenges tell me that uh, that he will offer a speech that will be a Trump-style concession speech. We may be days away from this. We may, frankly, be weeks away from this. But he will ultimately come out and acknowledge a reality, a reality, um, that, uh, that, that Joe Biden will be the next president. He will commit, I am told, I am assured, reassured, uh, by, by people close to the president, he will commit to a peaceful transition of power. But this will be a Trumpian concession speech. The concession ultimately being, I concede that the election was stolen. That will be the, that'll be the thrust of Donald Trump's concession. It's never going to be a congratulatory. It's never going to be the kind of speeches that we saw Herbert Walker, George Herbert Walker Bush do when he lost to Bill Clinton. Uh, it's not going to be the kind of speech we saw when John McCain uh, lost to Barack Obama. It's not going to be that kind of speech. It, uh, it will be the themes that we have heard many times, that his presidency was stolen from him, not just on election day, uh, but also during the last four years with the investigations, the witch hunts, uh, the news media, the Democrats, uh, uh, you know, going at him and, and, and trying to destroy his presidency from day one. He is going to complain about that full litany. I expect a few riffs on spying on his campaign and the like. Uh, but the important thing here is you know, they're, they're kind of fevered dreams, uh, fears uh, by, by, by many, particularly on the left, that Donald Trump somehow won't, won't leave and there won't be a peaceful transition to power. He has fueled those by refusing to answer the question about a peaceful transition to power uh, uh, some weeks ago. But, but I am told um, that, that, I mean, then there's nobody close to the president who has disputed this, that ultimately uh, he will commit to that peaceful transition to power. But what does it look like? My Lord. Well, I, and, and to your point about Republicans, this is their last chance. This is it. I mean, this is the last chance to stand up for uh, the rule of law, for democracy, for uh, just the, the basic human values and virtues. Uh, and, you know, I think thinking again about about Biden and Harris, uh, you could say a lot of things about Joe Biden. A lot of things have been said about him and about Kamala Harris. They're good and decent people. They respect the rule of law. Uh, they believe in the traditions. The way I expect the Biden-Harris transition to take place is going to be one of sort of quiet confidence. Uh, if there is one thing that the Biden campaign is good at, they're good at a lot of things, obviously. They just won the presidency. But if one thing they're good at, it's a tuning out all the noise and uh, the, the ignoring the Trump show. Uh, copyright 2020, John Carl's book. Uh, <laughs> they're good at, uh, at tuning it all out and, and, and plowing ahead. And this will be for all of the, the craziness that we can expect up until January 20th and maybe beyond for President Trump, I think it is going to be a very traditional, very workmanlike um, effort uh, where, where we'll, there's no you know, Trump Tower headquarters that we'll camp out in. There's no you know, cable, cable hits you know, with, with wild speculations and, and haphazard news conferences and, and crazy media. It's going to be a very, not to say they won't have problems, they won't have hiccups, there won't be scandals or issues with, with cabinet appointments, but they're just going to go and put their, put their nose down and do the work. And, and the work is, is tremendous because we see now through this election the unbelievable 
divisions in this country, real, searing, angry, hurtful, and uh, sick, frankly, country that, that we're in right now. And the president, I think it's fair to say that there is no 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 president elect that has faced the range of challenges. Um, you know, maybe maybe Lincoln with the country that was coming apart at the seams, maybe FDR with the with the Great Depression. But the the combination of forces that uh, that Joe Biden will uh, will inherit, uh, I think, far outpaces the challenges that Barack Obama and Joe Biden faced 12 years ago. Um, that looks like minor league stuff compared to what we're talking about right now. And uh, we know that that if you know President Trump has been defeated, Trumpism has not been defeated. There will be a big, loud remnants of it through the person of the president and many others. Uh, and there will also be uh, a lot of a lot of anger and a lot of mistrust. And uh, and and Vice President Biden, President Elect Biden, I should say, and Vice President Elect Harris are going to have a heck of a lot of work cut out for them in governing and in and in mollifying and uh, pacifying this country. They, they sure are. And, and you know, Donald Trump, I think, I think there were a lot, a lot of people that turned out to vote for him uh, who bought into the argument that the Trump campaign made, which was blunt and it was not subtle. Uh, the argument that, uh, that Joe Biden and, and uh, Kamala Harris would turn the United States into a combination of uh, of Venezuela and Cuba, that it would turn the United States into a socialist, uh, the president actually started saying communist uh, country, maybe, maybe Ceausescu's uh, Romania <laughs> was the, uh, was the vision. So as, as, as Joe Biden forms his cabinet, as he, as he pursues his opening agenda, uh, I, I think it'll be interesting. I think, you know, he's not obviously going to be, he's not going to govern uh, like Fidel Castro, <laughs> Okay, um, and and you know perhaps there's an opportunity for him uh, uh, to to win over you know some of those, and he has said repeatedly uh, that he is going to serve the president. He's going to serve all of the people, not just the people that voted for him. A uh, message that was never too clear coming from from Donald Trump. He is, uh, you know, that he's echoed that theme. That theme going back to Obama's 2004 uh, convention speech. You know, Red America. No blue America, only the United States of America. But it's going to be a challenge, and uh, we've got a you know we've got a lot we've got a lot facing this country, and we also have a a government that is awash right now in a in a in a deficit uh, for for 2020 that actually exceeded three trillion dollars. So uh, it remains to be seen how much gas is really in the tank. Um, but Rick, uh, as we close out this, uh, this special edition of the Powerhouse Politics podcast, I want to just say in all seriousness, and forgive me for being a little bit earnest here, as, as, the, uh, as the ABC News political director, uh, you uh, led a, a phenomenal political team at ABC, and I don't think you've slept over the past uh, five nights or so. Um, and uh, I, I, I appreciate the work that, that you and, and the entire ABC politics team has done. And even Trevor Hayes thinks I think he did a damn good job, too, uh, not to mention Avery Miller, our team here. But I'm talking writ large uh, at ABC. It's been, uh, it's been exhausting and it's been uh, important work. And, um, and you guys have really, really done a terrific job. So on, on that note, do you do what you want? You want a closing word yeah, or do you want me, I mean, I, you can just I, drop um, the mic right there. I mean, well, First of all, I, I could, but I'll just say I know we did great work. So thank you for acknowledging that. But in all seriousness, to to speak 
largely about this. And, you know, these are themes that, that you have written about and I know you fought for in that briefing room and as president of the White House Correspondents Association uh, and, 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 and slugging down the trenches every day. Um, the institution of the media survived an onslaught uh, and, and is coming out on the other side of this and handled itself, I think, uh, at large, very responsibly and very earnestly and very well. And I, I could not be more proud of my colleagues at ABC News, the, t the, the teams up and down the news division, uh, you know, from the correspondents in the field down to the down to the people that were crunching numbers for us at every hour overnight, and people that were creating graphics. We, 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 I, we did a very solid job, I think, of not 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 uh, not understating, but not overstating, not panicking the country about this extended overtime period. Um, you know, it has been an incredible ride. And uh, Donald Trump has tested our institutions uh, in the media so so vividly and, uh, and 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 strikingly, and we're coming out the other side of that. And uh, and I'm proud of I'm proud to call you a colleague, John, and and for, you know the whole team that's been able to to do the job and do it as well as everyone has through this unbelievable election year. All right. Well, on that note, thank you, Rick. Uh, a very rare and special Saturday edition of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast, and we will be back next week.